Acts 2.22. And we'll figure out why people all over the world sing real loud songs like that. There's a point. Acts 2.22. The Spirit has been poured out on the disciples. And Peter stands up. And says this, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and you killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, so Peter goes back to his Tanakh and says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Then he puts his Bible down and stands back up and says, Brothers, I may say with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. But being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of this, Peter says, we're all witnesses. This is God's word. So after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples over the course of 40 days and, and taught them so that they would be his witnesses. Okay, And so for five weeks, we're asking witnesses to what? Right? What do they bear witness to? What are they talking about? What are they going to their deaths for? And based on the records that we have, okay, Acts and, and the letters on, what message did these men give their lives to proclaiming? And, and we're saying that it's five things, okay? It's the restoration of all things, okay? Though the heavens and the earth and human beings in them have been marred by sin, at the day of the Lord, he will reverse the curse and he will make all things new, just as he promised in the law and the prophets. And so when the apostles stand up and preach, Acts 3, they say, repent, therefore, that he may send the Messiah whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken of by the mouth of his holy promise. Prophet. Second, the apostles bear witness to the hope of a Messiah and, and the election of Israel. God's mechanism for restoring the earth will come about through God's appointed man and God's appointed people. And so when the apostles stand up to preach, they say, Acts 17, now God commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, okay? So those first two things that Jesus is teaching in those course of 40 days, they're not new for the apostles, okay? All throughout the Hebrew scriptures, these kinds of things are in big flashing neon lights. There's an appointed restoration, an appointed day, and there's an appointed man to bring about these things. But the third truth that they bear witness to was new to them, okay? For hidden within those same scriptures that say there will be a restoration and there will be a man appointed by God to do this, hidden in there is also the necessity 
the Messiah must first suffer for the sins of his people and then enter into glory. There is no glory without a cross and then bring about the restoration of all things. And Jesus taught them also, sort of new to them, that Jew and Gentile, and I think we're all Gentiles here, mostly. Any Hebrews in the mix this morning? No, not a mixed multitude coming out of Egypt. Okay. Jew and Gentile, to inherit eternal life in the age to come, they must receive this witness of the cross by faith and order their lives around the fact that God will actually account their sins forgiven, actually acquit them, actually justify them on the last day based solely upon Christ's atoning work. And so when the apostles stand up and preach Romans 3, they say all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And this Christ Jesus, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, okay? So Jesus rises from the dead, teaches these guys, and over and over and over, all the way through our New Testament, they bear witness to the restoration of all things, to Jesus' appointment as the Messiah and the agent by which these things will come about, and to his cross as a substitutional sacrifice, okay? Over and over and over and over and over, this is what they're saying, okay? And we're, this is a five-week thing. We're going through this, so you guys just have these things in you. Like, what's the New Testament say? Restoration of all things. Jesus is the appointed, appointed Messiah. And through the cross, you can actually be forgiven and inherit eternal life on the last day. And so today, to, to kind of round this out, the apostles also bear witness to those things and to his resurrection from the grave as a confirmation that these things are true. Okay? Because they got to be true. If they're not true, like we're of all people most to be pitied, we need to know that they are true. So central to the claim they give their lives to, to proclaiming and, and central to the claim that the reason we're still here today. Like, do you guys think that's odd? Tells 12 guys at the end of Matthew, hey, go disciple the nations and teach them. And now we're 2,000 years down the road and we're in a... Baptist church full of Gentiles proclaiming the same message that they did? It's not by accident. Okay. So they bear witness that Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. And, and the resurrection of Jesus is not interpreted as some random miracle. Okay? Just like a cool thing that God did for Jesus. Jesus doesn't show up. Uh, in the house or, or on the beach when he's making breakfast or wherever he's showing up over the course of those 40 days. And the Jewish disciples are just like, well, that's cool. What's he going to do next? You know, pull a rabbit out of his hat. Like, is it is it a random miracle that's happening here that God raised Jesus from the dead? No. OK, it's not random. It, it, God is doing something in the resurrection of the dead. It, it means something and it has Context And so what is the context? Why did the apostles respond the way that they did to the resurrection of Jesus? Well, in the Acts 2 sermon we read, specifically, the, the, the resurrection means all these other things are true. And they're reliable. And God's word through the law and through the prophets is trustworthy. And he's going to do everything that he said. Why? Because that guy's not in the grave anymore. Does that make sense? Like, if he's dead... Don't believe the rest of it. But if he's alive, believe all of it and set your hope on these things. So in this sermon, we've already seen that there will be a restoration of all things. The age to come will actually arrive. Okay? The resurrection confirms that Jesus is the anointed heir of David's throne who will rule all the nations in righteousness. The resurrection confirms that the cross 
is in fact God's means of reconciling and justifying guilty humans to himself. I believe that because there's not a, he's not in the grave anymore. Okay? Otherwise, it's just weird. right? If my grandpa dies, I don't go around telling people, if you believe in Daryl, you'll be saved. No, why? Because Daryl's going to die and go into the dirt again. Jesus goes into the grave and comes back out. I'm unbelief. What's going on there, okay? The resurrection confirms that what these men are saying and what has been handed down to us is, in fact, true. And we can give ourselves to it. So Peter bears witness to all four of these in his sermon. So let's just work through that and then go um, hunt eggs. Whatever. Where's the Macmillan boys left? The, the, the eggs, the bunny doesn't lay eggs. He hides them. Is that... I'm not a farmer. It just doesn't seem like it works. Okay. So Peter stands up and preaches that first, Jesus' resurrection confirms God's promise that this world will be changed to be a world full of life and not of death. And so Peter quotes David and says, Acts 2.28, you've made known to me the paths of, of life. Okay. And life in the scriptures is not just like generic whatever. Okay. Life means something. Life has a context. So Psalm 116, David says, You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And then verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So David says, Though I've walked through death and sorrow and the stumbling and the bumbling of this age, I know that I will walk, future, I will walk before the Lord alive in the age to come in a land of, of life. Not marked by death. And this is everyone's goal, right? Especially in the time of Jesus among uh, the Jewish people. The goal is to attain that age of life contra the age of death. So Matthew 19, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and, and says, Hey, what must I do to inherit life, right? E- eternal life. And Jesus tells him. And then to the disciples, he, he says, Hey, How, right? The guy wants to know how. How do I attain to that age where there's no more sickness and sadness and suffering and death? And Jesus tells them, verse 29, everyone who has left everything, who who, who forsakes this life and clings and trusts to Jesus alone, for my name's sake, they will inherit what? Eternal life, right? It, It means something. It's real. It's physical and tangible to them. And so the sin of Adam, our participation in it, okay, all of us, brought death, and and, and they make this age the way that it is, but the resurrection confirms that God's promise that death and sin and the corruption that they've wrought and are uh, wreaking on the world, the resurrection says those things, that way of the world, that way of this age, the resurrection says that doesn't get the final say. That's not how the story ends. Instead, the day of the Lord will actually come. He will do what he said. And this present home of death will be changed and transformed into a 2 Peter 3 home where righteousness dwells and not sin and death and sadness. In the end, death doesn't win out. Life does. And we know this is true. Why? The apostles say because God raised Jesus from the dead. That's why I believe now is not always. Okay? That's why I, I can, and you can wake up tomorrow, no matter what tomorrow brings, and believe now is not always. Why? There's not a guy in the grave anymore. Yeah. 
Okay, that one came out second. Jesus' resurrection confirms that this is actually the Messiah. And all the claims that he made throughout the course of those three years are, in fact, true. He's not a lunatic. He's, he's not a liar. He's actually um, the Lord. And, and this confirms also that all God's promises to this man's family will indeed come to pass. So back to Peter's sermon, verse 30. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath, okay, God made a covenant to David that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, the throne of David reserved for the king of Israel. He foresaw and he spoke about the resurrection of the Messiah, okay? So all throughout the scriptures, I won't review all the scriptures, but God makes a promise to Eve that, that one of her descendants will crush the serpent's head, a descendant of Abraham will possess the gates of his enemies. He will have the obedience of all um, the peoples. A descendant of David will be called God's son. He will have a kingdom, a house, and a throne, and will reign on as God's son and God's king on Zion, that holy hill. Second Samuel 7, Psalm 2, Psalm 110. Okay, like this is the hope. This appointed man and appointed family will govern the earth. In righteousness, Isaiah 24, the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and before its elders with great glory, right? This is the expectation. And when Jesus is teaching and doing his bit, he says the same thing. Talks to his disciples, Matthew 19, truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, in the restoration of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne in Jerusalem, you who have followed me, you 12 Repentant, righteous Jewish men, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the claims made by the law and the prophets and made by Jesus himself. And we believe these things to be true. Why? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Otherwise, it's a Jewish fairy tale. It's a fantasy and you're stupid if you give your life to it. Like, you're just, you're off, way out in la-la land. But if God raised Jesus from the dead, this is the only thing you should believe. And this is the only thing that you should give your life to. We believe these things will come to pass because God raised Jesus from the dead. Third, Jesus' resurrection confirms that Jesus' atoning work on the cross, his blood, his, his death, his resurrection and ascension into the heavenly altar, which is another thing, the resurrection just says that the cross works, okay? It's real. It, it, it does what it's supposed to do. So back to Peter's sermon. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So remember, maybe you don't. It's been a long time, last week, okay? That Leviticus language, God says, I've given this to you on the altar to make atonement for your sin, right? God provides it. And so in the cross, Peter says, God delivered him up according to his plan. This Jesus, you crucified, you killed at the hands of lawless men. But verse 24, God raised him up. And then Peter says, in view of God delivering Jesus up sacrificially, Peter says, therefore, this is true. Here's the sacrifice, the atonement made for the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. What for? For the forgiveness of your sins, right? I mean, it's just what he says, because God accounted Jesus' life as worthy and raised him up. His death, Jesus teaches them, the apostles receive, Peter proclaims, his death counts as atoning. His death counts as, as reconciling, as propitiating, as justifying. 
Okay, belief in his death on the cross for your sins will actually find you acquitted and counted innocent on the last day. That's what they're saying, right? Other deaths don't do that. Okay, Daryl's death is not going to do that for anyone. Jesus' death does because he is a perfect lamb without spot, without blemish. According to the system God gave, his death actually accounts this way. And so the apostles proclaim. Paul says he's the beginning, the firstborn from where? From the dead, right? First means there's going to be more. Firstborn from the dead and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. It just means it worked, okay? It means that it's real. The apostles, after they received this testimony from Jesus for those 40 days, they proclaim that faith and repentance in his cross brings forgiveness, brings justification, and brings peace between God and man. And the apostles proclaim these things to be true. Why? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. If he stays in the dirt, you're still in your sins. Very bad news if Jesus is still dead, but because he is alive, because God raised him up out of the grave, it means the cross works. It's real, it's, it's, it's true. And last, the resurrection of Jesus confirms the resurrection of the dead, okay? Michelle, you already preached my sermon. I mean, you did. That's it. That's the game, guys. That's, that's, that's the point of this Jesus resurrection confirms our resurrection. Peter back to Peter's sermon verse 32. This Jesus God raised up and again not a random miracle. Not something cool that God did in, in AD 33. That's not what's going on. It means something. Because the hope of the Jewish people and hopefully the hope of these Gentile people is resurrection. The hope is not I'll fly away. The hope is not when we all get to heaven for the Jewish people. It's the hope is the resurrection of the dead literally, physically, bodily, coming up out of the dirt, okay? Because this is what their scriptures teach. Adam and Eve are supposed to live forever, but they died, right? After 900 years, right? They died, and that's not okay. Abraham is supposed to live in the land and inherit it forever, but he died. If you just want to meditate on death, Psalm 90, Psalm of Moses. Moses in Psalm 90 is just lamenting that people lived only to be 80. That's an abomination to the Jewish people. Men and women are supposed to live forever. Psalm 90 is Moses like, I can't believe we only live to 80. This is not how things should be. David's descendant is supposed to sit on the throne in Jerusalem forever, but he died. And so the prophets pick this up, right? This hope of living forever, of, of living in bodies that don't decay and perpetually regenerate. So Isaiah prophesied a day when Israel's dead shall live and their bodies shall rise and the earth will give birth to the dead. Ezekiel spoke saying, behold, I'm going to open your graves. I'm going to raise you from your graves, O my people. Daniel in exile prophesies many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Okay, the apostles know and we should know that death is not normal. Death and dying, it's not how things are supposed to be. If you base your life on Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you know death is not supposed to be a thing. So therefore, they hope for resurrection. They hope to get back to Genesis 1 where Adam and Eve were not supposed to die. But up to that point, right, 
up to, you know, Saturday night, AD 33, this hope is a dead hope. It's just wishing, okay? No, God said this, and God said this, and the prophet said this, and we've heard this, but up to this point, everybody's dying. Every single son of Adam was born, lived, went to the dirt, and stayed there. And for you today, 2022, the same will happen to you, okay? Braden makes fun of me for telling you guys this all the time, but you're going to die. Okay? You're going to die. We'll do a service. We'll, we'll go out there, throw dirt on your body, and come back here and eat potato salad. <laughs> One of Jim's hams. This is how things are. Like this, this is, is how it is. Your body is going to decay. You will stop breathing. Your heart will stop pumping. Your brain will stop firing. And you will die. And so without a resurrected person come out of the grave, there's no end in sight to that reality. Right? If Jesus isn't raised from the dead forever, we're going to bury people, come back here, and eat ham forever. And death is going to go on and on and on and on. And wars will go on and on and on. And, and, and forever the righteous will suffer and the wicked will prosper forever and on and on and on. Like this is just how it's set up to go unless this hope is now a living hope. And it's real and it's alive. The resurrection of Jesus up from the grave he arose. It changes that narrative. Okay. Like it's going to stop. No longer is the, he the hope dead. No longer is it wishy-washy, right? The same Peter who preaches this Acts 2 sermon, who saw the risen Lord, says, now you've been born again to a living hope. Yeah. It's real. It's alive. We know. John says we've seen him and touched him. And, you know, Thomas put his hands. Like, it's real. It's a living hope. Now, in the resurrection of Jesus, we have this confirmation. And it's, guys, this is all that matters. It's all you need to know. We have this confirmation that the grind of this age, that death and mortality, they don't go on forever. There's an appointed end to sin and suffering and sadness and death, right? There's a day on a calendar, right? On God's calendar, didn't give it to me, okay? There's a day on a calendar where we'll be standing around and say, you know what? We haven't done a funeral in a while. Like 200 years ago, remember we had a funeral? We haven't done that in a while. And I'm really missing Jim's ham. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just, it's not going to be the way things are anymore. It's a real living hope. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first one to come out of the grave. He's the first one to receive the promised resurrection from Adam and Eve, from Abraham, from David, from the prophets. He's the first one, but the resurrection of Jesus says he's not the last one, okay? There's gonna be a lot of resurrections to come because of this one. The resurrection of Jesus, the stone being rolled away, the angels appearing, and, and just the Bible says dazzling apparel, Gucci, I don't know what they're wearing, at the tomb. That whole bit happened as a confirmation of the Lord's promise of resurrection and as an anchor for our hope in this age. You know what I mean? Like you're, things happen in this age. Wickedness and sadness and sickness, they happen in this age. And if you don't have an anchor that it's going to stop someday, how do you go on? You don't. 
You have to have hope. And hope that's seen is not hope. Like, we anchor ourselves in this hope. God raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, he will also raise his righteous descendants from the dead. Okay? The hope of the resurrection from the prophets, from the law, finds its confirmation in Jesus, in his resurrection. For a son of Adam has actually come out of the grave, went in and didn't stay there, which confirms to us that this age will actually end. The grind will actually stop. The perishable will take on the imperishable. Okay, The, the point of Easter is that our hope is real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fantasy. It's not something that we're hoping for but aren't sure about. We hope in it and we're sure of it because God raised Jesus from the dead. On the other side, if Jesus isn't raised, don't believe in the restoration of all things. You are stupid, okay? Don't believe that that Jesus is God's appointed Messiah and he will judge the living and the dead. Don't believe in the day of the Lord. Live however you want. If he isn't raised, don't believe that his work on the cross brings forgiveness. You need to find another way to be forgiven if he's not raised. And don't believe that the grind of this age, death and and, and decay and mortality, will stop. Don't believe any of those things. If he's still in the tomb, it's just all bull. And, And Paul says we're of all people most to be pitied. Like believers, disciples of Jesus are pathetic if he's not raised from the dead. But I'm saying, and you guys saying like you believe, he is raised from the dead. He is risen from the dead. If he is raised, then Paul's words are true in all the promises of God. Okay, God's promise to restore all things, to bless all the nations through his firstborn son, to credit righteousness to sinners through their repentance and faith in the cross, and his promise to raise the dead for all who believe. If he is raised from the dead, it just means that all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why I believe any of this. That's why we would give our lives to it. That's why we say no to sin and unrighteousness and give ourselves to saying yes to God and his works and his ways and his people and all this stuff because they find their yes in him, okay? So here's the deal. What's the, what's the response to a crucified and, and risen Lord? Like, what do, you, what do you do with it? It's good. Our Bible just tells us in the same sermon, okay? Peter goes on after giving this talk that confirms all the promises of God, the resurrection, the restoration of all things, the cross works, the whole bit. The response is this. Peter looks at them and said, this Jesus whom you killed, whom God raised up, dot, dot, dot. Now you, if you're hearing my words today, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is next week's sermon, if you want to. Okay? So those who received his word were baptized and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so if this is real to you today, okay, if, if what happened on that Easter morning 2,000-ish years ago, if it's real to you today, uh, God's promises that are affirmed in the resurrection, and if you want the forgiveness of sins, Peter's telling you how. I'm telling you how. Repent of your sins. And after you repent of your sins, what's next? Be baptized, all right? We got this pool here. It, it makes noise every Sunday. I'm not sure why. Um, but be baptized and then devote yourself to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Okay? Because here, here's the rub. Here's why church is a thing. Here's why we do all of this. Is this is hard to believe some days. 
It's hard to wake up some days and and convince yourself and remind yourself that the resurrection is real and therefore God's promises are real. And everything really will be restored. And if I walk on a narrow path in repentance and humility before God, I will actually inherit eternal life. I will actually get raised from the dead. There are people in here stronger than me. That's hard for me to believe. And so I need a body of believers to remind me every single day, especially every single Sunday, that this is true and it's worth it to follow a crucified and risen Lord. That's why we do the bit. That's why the apostle, that's why the immediate application from Peter's sermon is, yeah, repent of your sins, for the, for, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. We're going to baptize you for cleansing so you can approach God in the age to come and devote yourselves to the fellowship, to the people. That's the goal. We don't want a one-off, all right? You heard the gospel one time at VBS or Falls Creek or whatever, or a Sunday morning or Sunday night or prayer meeting or whatever. Guys, we want to walk this thing out for the long haul. We want everyone to inherit eternal life. And that takes the fellowship. That takes all of this. So, Robert, if you would help us, I'm going to pray. Um, so you can go ahead, bow your head, do whatever you do um, to pray. God, I ask that you would confirm your word today by the power of the Spirit. God, that there, there would be a confirmation that these things are true. Um, just like you did, God, in Acts 2 and Acts 4, the word of God is proclaimed, the gospel is proclaimed, people are called to repent and trust in Jesus only for eternal life. God, would you confirm that by the power of the Spirit today? Lord, we thank you uh, for what Easter means. That Easter means you're not a liar. You're going to do everything you said. You will restore all things. This earth will be made a home where righteousness dwells. God, the dead will be raised. God, those who have fallen asleep will be raised. We'll see them in glory. Thank you that Easter means the, the cross works. You really will account us forgiven, really account us acquitted, really account us justified, God, based on faith in your cross. So Lord, we ask that you would brand these things on our eyeballs by the Spirit today. Make them clear to us. Don't let us forget them. God, cause us to remind each other of these things over and over and over and over and over until you come. Until our hope that's unseen now is seen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite our... Uh, Elders up will be here for prayer. Just and just real quick before that, um, if you if you haven't, okay, if you haven't repented of your sin, you're not trusting in Jesus, and you want to know how to do that, what that means, fill in the blank. You can talk to a member of our church if you're sitting next to them. They can tell you. If you don't want to talk to them, just they stink or whatever. Um, you can talk to me or any of our elders up here. And what we're going, to tell, we're going to tell you how to repent, to put your hope in Jesus. Then we're going to tell you to be baptized. And then we're going to tell you to join the church. 
tell you to give yourselves to these people and they'll give themselves to you and we'll all inherit eternal life together. So if you have questions about what it means to to follow Jesus, what it means to be baptized and what it means to to join um, the church, please talk to us about that. Um, We'd be happy to do that. But now our elders will be up here um, for prayer, for anything, response to this um, or anything else.